Welcome to Career Chin Wax for the 21st Century. My name is Catherine Cunningham and I'm a career specialist who's worked with thousands of people by now. And so what I'm trying to do in this podcast series is tap into things that I've learned, things that I've come to understand over the years to help people better manage their careers and be happier at work. So I want to talk first about MBTI. I love it. It's my favorite work. And if I'm, if I'm working with somebody who's not happy at work and they only have one hour to work with me, I always recommend MBTI because if you can uncover your hardwired preferences rather than learned behavior or learned skills, you can use that information to decide what sort of work to do. So, for example, when I was at the bank, my spreadsheets were basically full of errors because I don't have natural attention to detail. Now, since then, I've learned attention to detail. Anybody who works with me on resumes gets pretty amazed at everything I spot. So, yes, I can have attention to detail, but do I want to be in a job all day where I have to absolutely focus on the task at hand and notice every slight little issue? I can tell you no. So where does it come from? I want to give you a little bit of theory before we start. I'm going to look at the four separate letters, M-B-T-I, one at a time, and that will help you understand it. And I'm going to start at the back. So the I stands for indicator. MBTI is not a test. So if you go online and do one of those free versions, it's pretty well a waste of time. It is only an indicator. As an accredited practitioner, I'm bound by the ethics to only ever deliver the assessment with the debrief. Many times people think when they do the assessment that they're, for example, an ENTP, and it's only when you properly explore hardwired preferences in the debrief that they may, for example, come to understand they're not an extrovert, that was learned behaviour, they're actually fundamentally an introvert. So it's an indicator, not a test. The next letter I want to look at is the T. The T stands for type. And there's two issues to look at here. The first one is there are 16 types or 16 possibilities. And that is both the strength and weakness of MBTI. The strength is, from a career perspective, when people get their profile, it's like this aha light bulb moment. Often the comment is, I cannot believe this is so right. The level of detail, however, means that they forget their profile. So if I rang somebody up a year later and said, look, what's your profile? They'll probably get it wrong. For our career purposes, that doesn't matter. All we're trying to do with MBTI is stop for a minute in time, have a think about hardwired preferences, and use that information to make career decisions. And the other aspect of type is it's not tray or trait theory. So many instruments will measure you on a continuum. They'll say you're more like this than a particular cohort or less like this. As soon as you do Myers-Briggs, you will notice that it essentially forces you into one camp or the other. Now, Myers-Briggs is based on Carl Jung's work, and apparently Carl Jung said, of course, none of us are 100% introvert or 100% extrovert, for example, but you will notice it essentially wants you to come down on one side versus the other. And the final letters are MB, and they stand for Myers-Briggs. And it was a mother-daughter combination. Catherine Briggs started in the 1920s, building on Carl Jung's work. He knew of her work. She was the first person who wanted to have a mainstream application of his work. 
So it was really the first time in the world that anybody tried to use personality preferences to help people make career decisions. Because before that, fundamentally, you did what your father did, because of course back then it was mainly men working. You did what your father did, or your career choices were extremely class-driven. Okay, let's move on to the label issue. Some people don't like MBTI because they think it labels them. Yes, it obviously does. A useful analogy, however, might be if you think about your favourite room in the house. So my favourite room in the house is my bedroom. I do a lot of work on my bed. It looks out on a garden. I love the connection with the garden. My least favourite room in the house is the laundry. If you look at MBTI, the bedroom is really where you are most comfortable, where you are most in the flow, in the zone. MBTI does not mean you don't change your behaviour. So yes, of course, I go into the laundry. I don't like the laundry. I find it quite soul-destroying, but I go into the laundry. And probably from a work point of view, the example would be me working on resumes and making sure I dot the I's and cross the T's. I don't really want to do that all day but I quite happily and skillfully go into that laundry. At a minimum, somebody talked to me about this a while ago, and it's always stuck with me. At a minimum, you could argue that those 16 types are just a description of behavior preferences, and that that's no different than the DSM-5, which is the uh, American Psychiatric Association's description of mental disorders. If you've ever looked at that, they will have a series of behaviors that they put underneath a label. The label might be, borderline personality disorder, and underneath they'll have a series of behaviours. So you could argue at a minimum MBTI is no different than that. It's a useful catch-all of behaviours that are put under a label. And finally, if you're really sceptical, there's a guy called Dr. Dario Nardi, wonderful guy. I went to one of his conferences in Brisbane a few years ago. And since 2006, he's focused on hands-on brain research He uses real-time EEG technology to establish the link between the parts of the brain that light up when somebody's in the zone or in the flow doing an activity that matches with their MBTI preferences. If you just Google him, he has lots of information, interesting content and videos. And at the moment, he's producing content for a new book and he's slowly releasing it on LinkedIn. I had a look at his work on ENTP, which is my profile, and I found it even more fascinating. So perhaps explore that as well. Let's get started. Today I'm going to look at INTP, who are abstract, analytical and elegant. If you could sum up INTPs, it's that they are ingenious problem solvers. They're philosophical inventors, fascinated by logical analysis, system and design. They're preoccupied with theory and search for the universal law behind everything they see. But before we go any further, let's do a very quick superficial breakdown of those four letters, I-N-T-P. I stands for introverted, and these are people who are energised by time alone. N stands for intuitive, and intuitive people are those who focus on ideas and concepts rather than facts and details. Thinkers are those who make decisions based on analysis and reason, rather than feelings and values. 
and perceiving people are those who prefer to be spontaneous and flexible, rather than planned and organised. At their core, INTPs find or develop underlying principles and logical structures for explaining and understanding the world. They approach almost everything with scepticism. They form their own opinions and standards and apply these standards rigorously to themselves. They're intensely curious about ideas, theories, and what makes things work. They're one of the less common types. 3% of the general population, and they're much more common in men, 5% of men and 2% of women. From a statistical point of view, they're more likely than any other type to study a foreign language. They're the highest of all types with career dissatisfaction, along with INFPs. In school, they have lower grades than you would predict from their aptitude scores, and their personal values include autonomy, freedom and independence. They're commonly found in science and technical occupations, and they're overrepresented amongst working MBA students. INTPs are likely to be logical, analytical and objectively critical. They're detached and contemplative. They're mentally quick, insightful and ingenious. They're quiet and reserved, and they're passionate about reason, analysis and innovation. And of course, I'm interested in where INTPs find career satisfaction. Career satisfaction to an INTP means doing work that is challenging and deals with complex problems, where they're able to try unconventional approaches and take risks to find the best solution. This work needs to let them work independently with plenty of quiet, private time to concentrate and complete their thinking process. The work needs to be done in a flexible, non-structured environment without useless rules, excessive limitations or unnecessary meetings. The work needs to let them develop ingenious ideas and plans and lets them delegate their implementation and follow-through to an efficient support staff. And finally, the work needs to let them analyse and critique new ideas independently or with a small team of colleagues whom they perceive as smart, competent and logical. That content comes from a wonderful book called Do What You Are by Tiger and Barron, where they outline 10 key drivers for career satisfaction, and I've only mentioned five. So if you're interested, go and have a look at the book. Famous INTPs include Albert Einstein, Thomas Jefferson, René Descartes, Charles Darwin, Marie Curie, Socrates, and Abraham Lincoln. What makes them attractive to others? There's a wonderful group on Quora of MBTI aficionados whose knowledge is, is outstanding. I always am in awe every time I look at it. And they do a quick analysis of that. INTPs are attractive to others because of their intelligence, their offbeat sense of humour, their unpretentious personalities, their genuine quirkiness, the careful and deliberate precision of their logic, their strong sense of ethical integrity, their dedication to intellectual honesty, the ingenuity of their ideas, and their mostly tactful straightforwardness.
As always, I'm going to stray a little bit from an analysis of INTP and their career drivers to talk about what they're like in the workplace. Again, this is from a wonderful book called Working Together by Isaacson and Behrens. And I'm going to just pick out little bits from the various sections of that book. When it comes to management style, the management style of the INTP is likely to be one of a visionary who communicates the general outline of the vision and then lets everybody do their own thing. Because they prefer to be left alone to operate autonomously, they assume that others do too. They can be team players if that's what's necessary to get the job done. If faced with what they perceive as incompetence, INTPs are likely to take on the task themselves rather than see the project fail. INTPs often avoid management positions because they prefer to develop their natural gifts as individual and significant technical contributions. When it comes to values, INTPs value the theoretical, wanting insight, understanding, comprehension and knowledge. They admire genius, precision, efficiency and effectiveness, and they seek these characteristics in everything they do. Their love of theory is perhaps greater than all of the other types. To them, theory is the way to achieve objective truth. When it comes to their attitude, the basic attitude of INTPs is one of scepticism. While they are open to new ideas, they're sceptical of their validity until logically proven otherwise. They find the ambiguous fascinating and embrace the search for clarity. What about their skills? INTPs are very good at determining the most efficient and effective structure, figuring out the simultaneous placements of parts of a whole, be it a building, as in architecture, or a theory. INTPs are wordsmiths more than any other type. They seem able to express with great precision exactly what they want to communicate. The driving force of an INTP is is this very high need they have for an achievement. However, this achievement is usually measured by standards set by the INTP, not by society or the organisation. Their standards for achievement are constantly escalating for them and for others, and they're driven to understand the laws of the universe. When it comes to energy, then it's no surprise that given these skills, values and attitudes, INTPs direct their energy towards the acquisition of knowledge and competencies. And when it comes to their authority orientation, again, it would be no surprise to you to think that INTPs want the person in charge to be knowledgeable and competent. They do not grant authority by position. They will question authority and test it, especially in their own area of expertise. How do they learn? They learn by conceptualising abstracting common properties and creating categories. They are very good at learning abstract ideas and less adept at learning by association and rote. What about their blind spots and pitfalls? INTPs may overlook the human element in the quest for objective truth and understanding. They can be bitingly critical and sarcastic and may be seen as cold and distant. They may want to spend too much time planning and thereby delay the actual doing of the project. INTPs may be intellectual snobs with little patience for those less endowed with abstract intelligence. They tend not to like small talk necessary for social and semi-social situations. And to finish off, 
I'm going back to that Quora group just for a little bit of lighthearted analysis. And they talk about how would you know if an INTP liked you? Even though they're usually aloof and reserved, if the INTP has a crush on you, they will seem warmer and more responsive. They'll actually respond to your messages, whereas if they don't like you, they're likely to forget your name even if they've met you 10 times. You can also expect shy smiles and excuses to be near you. They'll be interested in your mind and ask you what your opinion is on various topics to get to know you. You'll find them especially interested and curious whenever you have something thought-provoking to share. You may feel weirdly flattered by their attention, even if you're not totally sure why. They will go out of their comfort zone to do the basic courtship rituals they usually can't be bothered to do. What may seem like normal social behaviour to you is them putting the effort in to get to know you. So where do we go from here? I think the first starting point is to get to know your profile. And I think you need to do it with an accredited practitioner. Yes, of course, there's lots of websites where you can do a so-called free MBTI test. They're pretty well useless. I've had friends of mine proudly announce to me that they're an ISTJ, for example, when probably they're not. The accreditation process for an MBTI practitioner is they're not actually allowed to deliver the assessment without the follow-up session. So that's why it's important do the assessment, and then have the debrief session. I particularly like the MBTI Step 2 Interpretive Report because it will show up not just your hardwired preferences, but it will show up where your actual behaviour is different to your preferences. So me, for example, many people think I'm very well organised, but I'm actually fundamentally scatty and that organised behaviour is learned and every now and again lets me down. Many people come in to see me because they want to use MBTI to make career decisions, either because they want to move jobs or they want to just be happier in their current workplace. It's also used quite a lot for executive coaching. And what I find is when you have an understanding of your own preferences, it does help you understand when maybe you should not behave according to those preferences. And finally, I use it a lot in my relationships my poor husband, I tell the story of the first time I went shopping with him. He's a very methodical person and I found it unbearable, but I didn't judge him. So rather than me sneering at him being so methodical, because I know his profile, I understand that that's perfectly natural for him. So what I do is I don't go shopping with him. I'll arrange to meet him afterwards for a coffee. So I find it really useful to understand myself and to understand the others around me. And I think that's a wonderful use of this tool, MBTI. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm still on my MBTI journey, as they say, and next episode I'll take one of the other 16 profiles and continue along. If you're interested, um, there's some show notes on the website, and that will give you some backing information if you'd like to explore more. I also do a monthly mail-out of blogs, podcasts, infographics and videos. And so if you're interested, you can either email the office, which is admin at careerconsult.com.au or you'll find a sign-up form on the website. 
As always, I'm going to finish with my hashtag, which I thought up many years ago when I first started doing social media posting. I think it's a wonderful hashtag. Hashtag, why not be happy at work? <laughs>